Welcome to the Mike on Watch podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman. You're here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And joining us is the very talented director, director of the latest Arkell's music video, Pub Crawl, Mark Myers. You've been on this pod before. I have. It's been a while. Um, but yeah. What were you on last time for? I don't recall. I think when I was, was when Shane and I were in Memphis with you making Drake's dad. I think mm. we were in the hotel and I think I was on that. You were, uh, you were actually in Vancouver when you guys were nominated for uh, Knocking at the Door. And right. uh, you were in the hotel. We went to Max's swanky suite that they gave him because, you know, he was, you know, playing the Junos. Uh, and we all hung out in like sort of the, the connecting suite area and we recorded a podcast. And Mark, you sat in on that one. I, I, did I speak? I don't know if I spoke. I was in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. We talked. We went through the video, the shooting of the video. Maybe no, I'm I remember wrong. That, I don't yeah. know. Oh, yes. Yes, I do remember. I do remember now. I remember yeah. watching and then now, now I'm remembering uh, doing it because I remember the comments afterwards. A lot of drinking that weekend. So it's, it's you know, you can be forgiven if you if you forgot. But uh, right now, what we're talking about, let, let's jump into it, Max. People can't see this at home, but you have a bunch of cutouts behind you. And by the time this uh, episode of the podcast comes out, the video for Pub Crawl will be out. Uh, guys, let's talk about it. How did the how did the uh, the concept come about? Uh, how did you guys shoot it? Let's get into it. Who wants to? This start? is Max a classic Max. Uh, Mac shoehorning in Arkell's promo into the pod. So thank you, <laughs> thank you guys. Um, but yeah, so we we have the song Pub Crawl that came out as an Amazon Music original, and that's the only platform you can listen to it on audio. But we love the song, and we really want to make a music video for it. And um, it's hard making anything right now in 2020, especially when it comes to groups. Uh, and audio is one thing, but a music video where everyone is required to be there together is really hard. So we kicked around a bunch of different ideas. Um, we thought we were settled on this, maybe this puppet idea, um, but that kind of fell through. So we called the man that we call in any emergency, which is Mark Myers. Uh, and Mark <laughs> has not only directed a couple uh, for Arkell's videos, you've also edited and kind of saved the edit, uh, saved the video through the edit, uh, a few others. Uh, and we got talking, uh, and Mark came up with this great idea that's sort of based around, which I didn't know at the time, your favorite movie, uh, Home Alone. Shane told me that your Home Alone is one of your favorite movies. Well, and- I might have been exaggerating. It's, it is one of your favorite movies, though, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> Am I wrong? I'm embarrassed if I'm wrong. Mark, is that your favorite movie? Oh, mine. I didn't know if you were saying asking Mike if it was Mike's favorite movie. No, it's no, not my no. favorite movie. It's, no. no, fuck. I like it. I thought it was Shane's favorite movie. I was, I, it's one, <laughs> it is one of my favorites. Sometimes I mix Mark and myself up. When, uh, which is understandable. Both like six yeah. feet, good looking white guys. Um, <laughs> I was going to, when Shane had mentioned the Home Alone thing with the cutouts, I actually was reminded of this old Steve Martin movie called The Lonely Guy, which is where I first saw the sort of cutout execution, which is like a, a way, like way back playback that like I pulled from my mind. But either way, very effective and, and cool idea, especially in these times. Go on, Maxie. Yeah, so we, we, we got talking and Mark kind of pitched this idea and Ash and I immediately loved it. But before we get to the video, I'm kind of curious, Mark, what's it like to be on the other end of an Ash Max phone call? Because we hadn't really talked in a long time because, you know, you got your job, we got our job, we're obviously friends, but you got your family, we don't see each other a ton. But basically, you just get a text out of the blue and then we demand all of your time for the next two weeks for free, basically. So what's that like? How's that experience dealing with us? Hey, this is the first he's found out that it was for free, by the way. <laughs> huh? the, the, the check was just deposited yesterday, so very good. Uh, yeah, I I get excited when I get that 
that text. Ah, it comes, it comes okay. every. I think the last one was like eight or nine months ago. Yeah, it's every like nine months. <laughs> yeah, and it's worth noting. Um, although I've directed a bunch of the videos, I didn't do them alone. Shane was my partner in crime, so it's worth mentioning that mm-hmm. I'm not making these things by myself. I think we've only done one Max, uh, just just myself. Every other video was with Shane, so a big shout out to Shane. Um, but with this, so I get the text that says, I'm actually want to make a YouTube video about the making of this video. So I've recorded some stuff along the way. Um, but yeah, I got a text from you that just said, we have this song, have a listen. And you had an idea already. So Mm -hmm. I was in the middle of playing video games. Like I am, uh, nightly now. So he was already ignoring his kids, Max. So you don't have to feel too bad. (laughs) Yeah. So what I, uh, I think it was like, I'd listen to the song. And then wrote back to you within like 20 minutes and just said, what if the band was the only real people and everyone else was a cutout? Mm. So that was the original idea <clears throat> where the, the, as people probably know, the song's a narrative about the annual pub crawl that the champagne boys do. So mm-hmm. I'm not very inventive off the start. So I'm like, okay, let's recreate this almost like a, the uh, San Sebastian's baby video. I, mm. That's one of my favorite videos. Shane directed that. I helped shoot that. So I'm like, I love that video. I'm like, what if it's like a fun San Seb inspired baby video? And for our listeners who don't know, San Seb is Mike's old band. And mm. uh, check out that video. It's a great video. So the quick thing was, I was like, oh, it'd be awesome just to recreate that night because it would be so fun and just with all the Champagne Boys. Then I'm like, you can't do that during COVID. So what's the solution? And then it's not super inventive because I think a lot of people, you have cutouts in, in baseball stadiums and I think cutouts in various places to, to, to fill in for people, but it kind of just jumped to my mind. Um, and I was like, Oh, that's a better idea than doing it for real. And it just fits for the time. It's like, you can't do it with real people, but you want to. So what's the solution? And it ended up being a creative um, twist. And then we had to work through that, though, because eventually, after talking to the band, we kind of realized uh, not everybody in the band is necessarily comfortable with being there. And if all five band members are there, we can only have 10 people at the shoot, then that would limit like sort of the crew that we could have on hand. So then it kind of just whittled down to Max parting with the band. We had other ideas to have like all the Champagne Boys have cutouts, and then we're like, ah, it's a lot of white guys just hanging out with each other and with with that are unrecognizable to most Arkells fans. Uh, so we kind of ditched that idea, and yeah, it just became me in this sort of fantasy world partying with the band, and we had to. It took actually a lot of work in the in the setup because we had to get all these photos done professionally. So basically, you came to my house, Mark, in Hamilton, and our photographer, Nathan Nash, who did so much of the heavy lifting on this uh, video, and huge, huge thank you, which I owe to Nathan. He set up shop. Yeah, he set up shop at my place in Hamilton, and the guys came in one by one, and we got and got their photos taken. You kind of had to direct the photo shoot. How was it like? Who was the most difficult band member to direct <laughs> to get them to do stupid stuff? It's that's a good question. I think I I wasn't there for Tony's. Tony um, did it first, so Nathan kind of led led that, and uh, Tony seemed like he was all in. Like 
facial expressions through the roof like he seemed like all into it he's smoking the cigars and it's funny how you say like the facial expressions because like in this video just over max's right shoulder is tony pulling a total facial expression there (laughs) that's exactly right so what's funny is when i did show up um i kind of did minimal directing just let nathan kind of run the photo shoot i would just add in things here or there just to make sure we covered what we needed to cover but he kind of had uh photographer control um on set you know what it's funny uh with the exception of me who loves being in front of the camera as you can probably tell guys uh the rest of the band don't really care that much about hamming it up or the the photo shoots and music videos aren't necessarily their thing like acting and performing they're not that into um so i always tell the photographer like you have to be assertive with the band like tell them what to do and they'll do it but they're not going to like naturally be performative and nathan is a very polite kind of quiet guy and it took about a year of me yelling at nathan every time we do anything I'm like nathan tell us what the fuck to do raise your fucking voice order us around go and now he's actually gotten a great rhythm with the band where he's not afraid to sort of take control of the room so uh yeah he, I, he, I, he was definitely like involved yeah so i could sense that so i kind of let him run all i try to do is make people feel comfortable i'm not very comfortable in front of the camera so i know what it's like to not be comfortable so i just try to set the stage for some of the members that maybe feel you can just feel the um awkwardness you know because it's uncomfortable so yeah my main thing was just to alleviate that that potential tension and just allow it to be fun and then let nathan kind of say you're a monkey derek and then they just jumped around how did you uh, alleviate the tension like a little bit of incense maybe some massage <laughs> i just say i just try to articulate how nobody cares you know it's like it's <laughs> yeah, like there's, there's there's like freedom in that yeah it's like I'm uncomfortable. We're all uncomfortable so much so that because everyone's uncomfortable, there's no reason to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? So just little tips on being natural. Then we played the song, you know, so we had the song going while we're trying to do the photo shoot and that helped, but just, just little tiny tips and like facial expressions to, uh, to get people to not care about being photographed. So then um, we had to figure out what the venue was going to be, which is another hard thing because Toronto was going to be going into a lockdown. This is a few weeks ago. Uh, bars had sort of various hours of operations. And basically, um, there's a place that I have been to before. It's called Drome, D-R-O-M, which is at Augusta and Queen, uh, just a little bit west of Spadina in Toronto. And um, I was on a walk with my mom. And basically, we popped in and we said, like, hey, we have this video idea. We are wondering... If there's a day of the week you're, you know, open to having a, like a, a very small kind of guerrilla film shoot happen. And we ended up meeting the, the kind of the gang that runs that place. And so huge shout out to Misha. He's this r- Russian dude and he really cares about like Eastern European music and culture and arts. And, and um, he, he agreed to let us have it. And we're like, what, what, what should we pay you like for, for the space? And he said, ah, just just buy some beer. Just if you want to buy some food. We got some stuff for sale. Just that, That's great. <laughs> We're like, okay, that's amazing. So if you're in downtown Toronto and you're looking for a bottle shop or some great Eastern European food, go to Drome. Uh, that's been my go-to spot in the last few weeks. But they were incredibly hospitable. And and the place, Mark, looked amazing. Like you didn't, as you said, like the bones of the establishment need to be there because if it looks kind of empty or if it doesn't have as much color and character, it's going to be har- much harder for you in the edit. Do you want to speak to that and what you're thinking? 
Yeah. So um, everything were, went super fast. So within like a day, you were, were walking down the street and sent a text of that bar. So I'm like, oh, that looks cool. It'd be great to see other options. So there's another option of a bar down the street, except it was more, it felt like more of a box. Like if you turn mm -hmm. the camera to the right, there's nothing there. You're going to have to make something. You turn the camera to the left, you're going to have to like create that. The bar didn't really look like a bar. So it felt like there was more work that had to be done. Whereas I was wanting a place where we could point the camera almost in any direction. And it just felt like yeah, a pub felt like a bar and there was character in every spot. Luckily, um, for a second, we almost didn't get drum. It looked like mm -hmm. we were going elsewhere. And I was like, please, 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 can we find, can we like, can we get a place like drum or, or equivalent or better? And luckily we got that place. Mark, your negotiation style is so funny. And, you know, Mike and Shane, you've worked with Mark for a long time. You were your former colleagues. But for, you're very agreeable and very supportive. You're an awesome partner uh, to work with. You're not stubborn. But there are moments in working with you where you put your foot down in a Mark Myers kind of way, where you kind of say, okay, Max, we can go to this other bar if you'd like. But I feel very strongly that drome is the place that we should go so i want you to think about that like he kind of mind fucks you uh it, <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a couple of standoff moments between ash and mark which were fucking hilarious because by the way ash is the biggest fan of mark i mean we all are the biggest fan of mark but like they were arguing about the the function uh, a couple moments where it's like what what the yeah, with the, what the cutout <laughs> should be like. And basically, if uh, you're looking down here, there's two ways to do a cutout. There is that way with the slats, and then uh, we end up going with all slats. Or there's the one where you're leaning back. The one where it's just kind of leaning back on like an easel, um, that uh, had a lot of white space between the legs. And I think for a minute, Mark, you wanted that, but Ash didn't want anything. And you guys, and I was unaware of this debate. And then Ash was, just, yeah, Ash was basically just like, I feel very, so, like, Ash only comes to me if, if like, if it's like a Hail Mary, I need your support, Max. And then I kind of got in the middle of that one. And I was just, basically, I was like, what the fuck What Ash was wants? the logic, though, to feel strongly about that from Ash's perspective? Imagine a video Oh, yeah. Basically, there's a lot of white space between the legs. And the fun thing about these slats is that you can see right through because it's just oh, on okay. the bottom part. But if it's if it's an easel version, it leans back a little bit and there's all, it's all white cardboard between the legs. And wasn't there some debate or conversation about the picture over your left shoulder, Mike D holding the basketball? What was there? Well, just a matter of probably whether or not we print it or not. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, that's going to be our uh, Home Alone reference. That's your movie, Mark. So you really wanted to fight for that uh, that <laughs> reference. Favorite movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Favorite movie all, of all time. No, it's uh, each cutout is a, is a line item. It costs money. So when you're making selects and you're saying this one or that one, this one or that one, it's like, are we going to spend the money to have one that we can't repurpose for any other reason. He's not at the bar or he's not, he's holding a basketball. So it was a one-off um, reference or joke. And um, I'm glad we were able to print it. I don't know if it was a battle. I don't think it was one of the. Mark, was it uncomfortable when you also insisted that they print a slat of you shirtless holding a basketball? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't for the video. Just you wanted her for on the house. I did that for my, for my LinkedIn. No, I was, I was pushing for that one. And Ash yeah. was too. <laughs> the, 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 to circle back just to the, um, the slat versus no slat. 
<laughs> Guys, we don't need to. <laughs> we don't need to litigate the argument it. again. Get Ash on the pod. Yeah, is to get the height. You, you want to get the height accurate. <laughs> so the sizing mm-hmm. is important, um, and it's difficult because we're in such a timeline that it's like we're going to print fifty of these things. If we print it wrong, then we have fifty wrong ones. So we did a mm-hmm. test. That test felt a little too big. It was the one over Max's shoulder, but yeah. that's the corrected one of, yeah. of Tony. Tony was like six foot three in, in this mock version. Which Tony pushed for heavily, actually, for this video. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, perfect. So yeah. um, that was part of the issue. We did a test print. It was on the slats. There was all this white space. I'm holding my fingers up of like six inches of white space on the bottom for those slats to go in. So I was like, okay, this, if the slats are causing an issue that's affecting our, our accuracy of height, then if we lose the slats, we can do the, the back, um, you know, the uh, back supported uh, triangular piece to get it accurate. But I was fine either way. Ultimately, what I wanted was <laughs> accuracy in height. <laughs> <laughs> This is a classic yeah. like Myers Myersism that's going on right yeah, now. It seems like you weren't passionate about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, back to the slats. <laughs> it, it, it was kind of an impossibility to get perfect. Um, all I'll say is like I'm holding my two fingers up for people that are listening. Uh, if if your two fingers are, are are side by side, then the accuracy yeah. of the height is is easily done. But if your feet are staggered in a photo one of those is going to be higher than the other. Mm-hmm. Like if there's, if they're staggered front and back, it, it was hard to nail. We didn't nail mm-hmm. the heights perfectly. You couldn't tell, but as someone who's seen it, you could not tell. Good. Max looked six foot in, in or, or sorry, uh, Tony, everyone looked like the correct height. Good. good. And Max looked good too. Uh, I want to also mention that this was all made under duress. So basically, Toronto Printing House um, agreed to take this crazy project on. We need to make these 50 life-size cutouts. And basically, they said to us, okay, we need a week to do this. Uh, we're filming on a Tuesday. By Thursday, they're like, guys, where are these these uh, photos? Like, we have to make decisions. And so basically, like, we, we were getting this all done under the wire. So we, we put the final order in on Friday night, and they were produced on Tuesday morning. So it was all, as Mark said, like this video, when was the first text? Like what day? That would have been basically... It was a Tuesday, then the photo shoot was on the Wednesday, the following Wednesday. The following Wednesday. And the video shoot was on the the Tuesday after. So it was two weeks. So basically it all happened in two weeks. It was very exciting. It was kind of a rush. And and again, there was so much pre-production. It wasn't just like, hey, I'll meet you in a couple Tuesdays and I'll follow you around the streets. It was just like all all the the work had to be done ahead of time, or a lot of it did. Uh, And then... Uh, we, so we're filming uh, at on, on this on the Tuesday, and on the morning of, I realized, okay, I need a cool jacket. Did I tell you the jacket story, uh, Mike and Jane? No, let's hear it. So basically, I was like, okay, the first like verse and chorus are going basically be outside, and I'm walking towards the bar, as you've seen in the video. And I was like, I kind of want a new jacket for this, but the city had just gone on to lockdown, so there's no stores that were open. So Ash and I are on like our morning stroll. We're in Toronto. And we're kind of walking through Summerhill, like just north of north of Bloor on Young Street. And we're talking about it would be cool if I had kind of a long, kind of more formal jacket, but wore a hoodie underneath, because I think that would look kind of cool. And then Ash goes, Oh, like that guy. And she points, and I look up, and there's a guy wearing this like really awesome yellow plaid jacket, exactly the cut that we're talking about. And I'm like, wait a second, I know that guy. I'm like, Liam. 
And then this guy Liam turns around, and Liam went to McMaster with me, and he's on the global morning show, Liam Vu. I don't know if you're familiar. He's like this cool, swaggy, bespectacled dude. And we start talking. He's a fan of the band. He's actually ordered Campfire Chords. And I was like, Liam, where did you get this jacket? And he's just like, do you want it? Because we told him about the music video. And he just literally, on the corner of like Young and Summerhill or whatever, gives me the jacket off of his back. And he's like, my boyfriend, he says I have too many jackets in the closet at home anyway, so just keep it. <laughs> so basically, that was the jacket that features in the whole first half of the video that was discovered the morning of the shoot. So huge thank you to Liam. And it kind of speaks to like sort of the team effort uh, in all of this. Uh, but yeah, so that, that afternoon we get shooting. We thought foolishly that we'd be out by 11.30 or midnight. Never and how did it, that way. How did it go, Mark? So I it didn't, it didn't, uh, it went way over time. Did the, uh, did the owner of the bar like bring up the, uh, the printing specs and did that cause like a two hour delay maybe? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you know, these don't look totally proportionate. I do know Nick yeah. and he doesn't like, seem this up. tall. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just class. It's like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm only working with Max, right? That should speed things up. I don't have to like, there's no sync with instruments that I need to deal with uh, or like shoot every, you know, you just shoot stuff for a few seconds. So I'm like, okay, we can fly through this. I'm trying to do the math in my head for how long shots are going to take. And I'm like, okay, let's get this done. And we'll be done by midnight, done by 11, done by midnight. We didn't finish till 4.30, getting right to it. So that, that, was, that was not great. What was good about that though, is that I ultimately did want some empty street shots. So it happened to, while we were shooting inside, it happened to have lightly rained outside. So mm-hmm. what happens when it rains is the whole city, the streets, the sidewalks, everything becomes a reflective surface. So all the night lights just look so much better because you have this wash of the whole city. So by the time we go outside, nobody's on the street. Max is performing in the middle of Queen Street with it's fucking freezing. Rain, yeah. yeah, he's like jacket or no jacket. I'm like <laughs> probably no jacket. <laughs> Sorry, Max. And then Mark's like, I'll take my jacket off too. I'll I'll take my jacket off too if if it makes you feel better. I'm like, fuck you. I'll just take it. I was like, keep your fucking jacket on. All right. <laughs> Any excuse to take your shirt off, eh, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I was trying. Oh, I have a question though, guys. You guys have all been on part of many shoots. Like, it always bewilders me that for the first half of it, everybody's so casual. And I'm like, you guys have done this a million times. Everyone's taking breaks. Everyone's going really slowly with all the shots. And and then it's like, you know, it's four hours in and we've shot one thing, basically, it feels like. And then and then the last half of the video is like, fuck, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Like, don't you guys learn your lesson? Like, why does this happen every single time? Doesn't the, doesn't the film industry know? We probably all have different answers as to how we direct and how that unfolds, but Shaney was going to say something. <laughs> well, I just think the crew is used to working constantly. Usually the director has a month or two off in between each shoot, and you want to seem relaxed, so you're kind of going at a casual pace for your, to comfort yourself and to comfort the talent, and you always secretly believe it's going to be on schedule, mm-hmm. and it never is. What was your answer, Mark? My answer is partly that I, one, I know it in the back of my head that this is happening. This is going to happen. So I try to curb it, but I don't do enough shoots. So, mm. and I don't often work with an AD. ADs I find 
Now, some are great, but the ones I've worked with, I don't love, you know? Well, because they're job... like your hired assholes, right? Like they're supposed <laughs> to be the assholes. Yeah, they're hired yeah. to move the train along, but they don't really care about the end product, whereas I care about the end product. So they care about time. Oh, got to move, got to move. And you just have someone chirping in your ear, but got to move all night. Um, mm. I ultimately only ever blame myself. Like I, I this, this uh, video, um, uh, I wanted to make sure everyone on set knew the vision. So I like explained it to everyone. I showed the storyboard essentially because I, I like buy-in from crew because I feel like, oh, if they aren't just pushing buttons and they actually know what we're trying to accomplish, that maybe that, you know, buy-in helps push it along but you're right max like it felt like a few hours in it's like have we got shot one yet you know and i made max <laughs> yeah. walk down the sidewalk at the beginning far too many times but luckily i'm happy that i did because mm -hmm. although i had a um an idea of how i wanted the opening to be um it took that many takes to go oh i actually want him opening because Max is singing the lyrics um, mm -hmm. as he's going through an uh, essentially an acting moment of coming into a bar. So uh, I'm happy where we landed because he opened the door at a certain line and then opened the next door at a certain line. But it took us a while to kind of get there. Um, so, so, so basically, we, we have this crazy day of shooting. It's all this whirlwind thing happened. Mark, you take the footage, you edit it, and then a few days later, you send it to us. And it's always a weird feeling when you've when you, when you've been living in it and uh, you get the first edit. And we, Ash and I, really liked it, but we wanted some perspective. So the first people we sent it to, obviously, were Mike and Shane because you, neither of you, really had any clue this was happening, right? Or did you did you know? Did Mark talk to you about? I, this? I watched it. Uh, I watched it completely fresh, clean. I did not know it was going down. And you, yeah, Mark and, and I talk uh, daily and text each other constantly, so I knew it was up. Okay, and, but your response was relieving because you want those fresh eyes, you want that objectivity, and you guys were like, "Oh, this is sick. This is and it's a first pass." Okay, Mark will make the second pass even that much better. But when you guys gave us the thumbs up, because I really lean on you guys as my confidants, uh, it made me feel that much more relieved. Well, what was your, uh, give us your uh, impression of the video? Uh, I thought it was an amazing video right from the get and so much so I was scared to make any suggestion on even a minor change because sometimes it can be a domino effect and then it's not the the second edit's not as good as the first in very rare cases like you had a scene at the end where all the um, the cardboard cutouts, cutouts fell over and then Mark kind of is seen as the director picking them up and even that which ended up getting cut I wanted it to stay just because it preserved the feeling I had under my first viewing, which I, I thought it was like one of your best videos and one of your best songs too. But yeah, great job, Mark. Yeah, I I, uh, I felt the exact same way. Like I watched it through and I think anytime you watched and you know, Max, you'll send a lot of stuff or we all send each other stuff usually like after a first pass and just kind of like, hey, what are you seeing? Because you know, you're always going to miss stuff when you're in it. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was great the first time through. And anytime you're going to even give a note, it's like, it's got to be something that like, like stands out where you're like oh yeah like maybe that's like this and then you go i don't even know if this can change but maybe maybe this is a suggestion but nothing stood out to me that i was like oh this could improve the video i was like the video to me was like such a, a great watch like shane said it's one of your best videos the song feels so good i think it's so of this 
time like it's kind of got this like bitter sweet nostalgic like it's kind of like encapsulates what it might be like this holiday season but it's also very joyous like it kind of lives in all these places and i think that's a really hard thing to pull off um and so yeah like i kind of was just so impressed with it off the hop that i was like yo like i actually have no notes i messaged mark and i was just like man this is like this is it, it, it was so good i think i said all of that everything i was probably more articulate in text uh uh, than I was, and then a couple things came through. I actually Shane liked the 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 Mark going into the frame. I th- I thought it was best to not see Mark because to me there was something very magical about Max in this sort of winter wonderland alone. That was all you know, and then it kind of broke it for me. But to to Shane's point, like these things are subjective. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have thought it was wrong to keep Mark stepping in because I I can see the value in that. But you know, I can only give you what I think sort of would play what personally I like, and then what I think maybe people would like. But all of these choices are always subjective. Speaking of those sort of notes, Mark, where it ends up, are there things that, you know, you were like, I would have kept, but I totally get where they go. Or do you sort of feel as a director, it's like, I ultimately, I want Max and the band and the people that I'm working with to sort of be happy at the end of the day. It has to be collaborative, but you do have to sort of concede on certain things. Where do you land on that spectrum? Yeah, exactly. As you said, kind of, I, certain things I have stances on, but most things, uh, I guess, I take the approach of it's not what I want it to be. It's what it is. So I'm like, meaning it's how it's perceived by the, uh, the audience. I might want it to be a certain way. And if it's not, then, then you're like, Oh, that didn't work. Cool. you got to take it out. So the part, I just tried a couple things. Like I was even considering keeping the clapperboard off the top because I didn't Mm -hmm. like the rough cut, but then I realized like Max is in this magical world. So anything that took us out of, that magical kind of space, even the the artificiality of it all with a clapperboard or the director walking in. The director walking in, me walking in at the end was more of a lesson for myself as a director to stand the hell back. Let <laughs> a moment be a moment. The reason why I, I, I made that mistake twice during the video and I saw during the edits, like we did this one long take, which I won't get into, but we had to do it multiple times to get it right. And there was one take where I didn't think it was right. So I jumped in. I was like, cut, like, let's do it again. And then when I go through the edit, I'm like, frick. Yeah. I should have let that last for three more seconds. Same thing with the ending. Mm-hmm. Let the damn cardboard cut its fall and let Max give it five seconds. Stand back. The problem is time. It was it was like one of the last scenes of the shoot. And, and I was freezing. So I was like... Tim's fucking cardboard fell over. Okay, these. Okay, and let's do it again. We were both kind of in that zone. We're like, so I was walking in trying to set it up and redo it, and yeah. But it's a lesson of like, stand back, allow a moment to be a moment. Something that you don't think is right actually might be right. Um, But to quickly talk about the edit, the thing that I like about projects that I work on, the goal is that I have choices. I've already made a whole bunch of choices. So with this video, it was already edited, like. Mm. It was already edited before I edited it. And I sent Max, even the day after he sent me the song, when I did the concept, I just, I think it was the day after, it was just the song with text on screen that said, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, this is what's happening throughout the whole video. So... It's a brilliant move uh, and reassuring move uh, for any young music video directors out there. That's a great tool. So basically just like plot out, make your own little YouTube video of just like, Along to the song, Max enters bar, Max wipes down table, Max starts dancing with uh, Mother Mary or whatever it is, you know, and Max, it really... Max goes outside, sings to the empty streets, 
mm-hmm. you know, and then the chorus hits and, and I, it just, so what I normally do and what Shane and I've done in the past is we do like, you can call it a ripple-matic. You take all this pre-existing footage that kind of looks and feels like the video you want to make and you throw that on top of the song and almost cut a music video out of mm-hmm. other people's stuff. So I actually tried to go down that path, but it wasn't landing. It wasn't, it, it almost felt like it was going the wrong direction and would lead Max to the wrong direction. So I felt like this was a new approach for this one was just white text on black screen. And it allowed it not to be anything specifically. It just allowed it to be kind of the idea. So anyway, what I'm getting at is when it came to the edit, it was already edited. Max had to do this by this point. He had to go on stage at that point. He had to be at the bar at this exact section. So it was all mapped out in the same way that baby, that uh, San Sebastian baby video with Bert, it was already edited in, in essence um, just by shooting it. So yeah, I finished that edit. Um, I, sh- I sent Max a picture. Like I was on a boat in the Florida Keys editing this video as well. Like I just kind of slapped it together in two days, but I, felt like the first pass, although rushed, I'm like, this is what the video is. It's going to be five degrees left or five degrees right, but 95% of it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, a little, I was going to say a little tidbit for our listeners. Uh, as you guys saw in the promo, Max has the lyric about my brother being cheap. Uh, and so there's a point in this video where Jules, who's also a friend of ours, uh, his cutout makes it onto the bar. He's shirtless. Uh and then Greg is appearing in the video because, again, there's a lyric about Greg walking off in the night after not refusing to pay for a cab. Tidbit, that is not a cutout of my brother. And so for our listeners, that is actually a cutout of director Mark Myers. If you want to see Mark, you can see him from behind in the video. And you embodied Greg very good because I thought it was Greg when I saw it for the oh, first really? time. You did a good job. Yeah. I think I the hat helped and yeah, mm-hmm. I just looked away. <laughs> and you actually, at that point, you went to the manufacturer and you got a smaller cardboard cutout. So that it, it, the proportions yeah, too tall, yeah, too tall. Uh, yeah, but why? Why did my brother get cut? Wait, what's the deal there, Max? The the, the the photo shoot was in Hamilton, and your brother lives in Toronto. So there was actually a moment where we were going to call you Mike as a stand-in. We're like, oh, do you think Mike would do it? Because you and your brother look a lot alike. Yeah. But they're like, ah, fucking, we're just kind of running low on time. We're like, all right, we're just going to do it from behind, and Mark's going to do it. But yeah, uh, and I'm big yeah. on on. Like I wanted to shoot it in Hamilton because I'm like, oh, this happens in Hamilton. Like I sometimes lean too heavily on reality, but I like mm-hmm. that as a starting point. So I think I even said, oh, I'll go take a picture of Greg. But like everything is happening so fast that um, it just ended up being the way it was. But I was happy to have a cameo. So thanks. And what's it like directing Max? How does he take direction? How much direction do you give him? Especially when he starts to get pissy at the back end of the video, as he was describing <laughs> when he was cold. Because because we've we've been in things with Max where you can tell when he's just about done, but there's still an hour left of something, and you're like, oh shit, this is gonna be a long hour when he starts to get cranky. It's a good it's a good question because um, you all know Max is like one of the greatest guys like he's such a good <laughs> you, you put that in quotes by the way for our listeners <laughs> somebody's angling for the next yeah. video yeah yeah no, but you're such a positive nice guy like okay. as a base like that's just your starting point so i'm always in my head of like am i going to throw him off his 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 happy self like don't do something that's going to throw him off so i he was easy and great and no, it wasn't until it's like when I t- make him do so many takes of the start of the video and I look at my watch, I'm like, we've just started. 
I've probably taken, I've, I've, I've leaned Max a little bit away from his, his like mm. true center. Nice point. demeanor. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more self-conscious of, uh Oh, what am I doing? That's going to throw him off from, from just being the way he, the, his natural state. So um, I don't think there was, yeah, I did multiple takes of many things probably. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like at the end, I got a little pissy. You didn't feel me getting pissy at the end. Was it for the outside stuff? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. <laughs> so diplomatic, Mark. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, for me, I'm like, we need to get it. Like, we need to get it. No, there's there's no way around it. There's no way around it. And I was just happy that no one was really vocally being that upset. And although it might have been subtle stuff, like I was jumping on a plane that next morning. So for me, I didn't want to be late either. Like, I didn't sleep Mm -hmm. that night and flew on a flight. Um, Were you able to nap, though, once you got on that boat in the Florida Keys? Were you able to catch up on some uh, sleep? I had to edit a music video. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Good place to edit a music video, though. Yeah. So it was, uh, Max was great. Max was great. I just threw him off his center by making it longer than it needed to be. But in the end, I'm happy with the end product. Um, Me too. Me too. So Me too. Well, okay, Mark, uh, you, you're 10 minutes late for your Zoom call. So uh, uh, so thank you very much uh, for entertaining our audience. This was a real like insider's look. This has basically turned into like a, a high-end film documentary series, basically. It's a companion just, piece to the video. They yeah. can watch the video and then listen to the making of. Exactly. All right. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Good to Good see you. Good to see you, brother. Like All right. I like that. <laughs> I like the audio as he just clicked around on the thing. He goes, how do I get out of here? <laughs> Keep that in the pod. Yeah, sorry. That that went on for a while. Let's let's get on to the next one. Sorry, guys. No, I don't know. I mean. No. It was only just, 20 minutes on what the base of the cardboard uh, was all about. <laughs> the slats. <laughs> yeah, the slats. Um, um, do we just want to make this the, the making of? Keep talking about the video or should we like get to a topic? I don't know. Let's what get to a doing? topic. Let, let, I want to hear you guys talk a little bit more. All right, so uh, there's been a story in the news. We're going to get to some topics, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but it was awesome talking uh, about the video. You guys will see it. Uh, it. It will be out by the time you hear this pub crawl. Uh, first thing we're going to talk about, maybe the only thing, I don't know, this episode just just rolling along, uh, is about this celebrity pastor. Uh, this huge piece came out in the New York Times called The Rise and Fall of Carl Lentz, the Celebrity Pastor of Hillsong Church. A charismatic pastor helped build a megachurch favored by star athletes and entertainers until some temptations became too much to resist. So this guy's this sort of like fascinating character who maybe you've seen him uh, if you're a Justin Bieber fan or Kevin Durant fan. Uh, who had befriended Justin Bieber years ago, um, back before the church had sort of like exploded. It was like this New York City uh, chapter of this, like originally started in Australia uh, church. And this guy just connected uh, with Bieber and Bieber ended up referring to him as like a second dad. And he ended up sort of being everywhere with Justin Bieber. At one point they were photographed doing shots together uh, in like Arizona or something. And then that became kind of a controversy. But he's kind of like this, this uh, part of this new line of like hip, like sort of like youthful pastors who like, I guess, connect with the kids of today. They're not as like traditional as like, you know, older sort of versions of that. So I guess if you're a young person and you want to be connected with, you know, uh, God or Jesus or religion, this is sort of an entryway. So this guy sort of became very famous by befriending people like Kevin Durant and Justin Bieber and people started coming to his church and all this stuff. Turns out um, 
you know, like all people, uh, celebrity uh, and power corrupted him. He stopped sort of like even showing up to his church to to, to preach. He was kind of he'd be missing for months at a time. He'd just be out partying. Uh, he is a father <laughs> with multiple children. Apparently, he had multiple affairs. All of this came out. Uh, I guess like volunteers in the church would be like, "Hey, like Carl." Oh, they would sort of report him. Then they would get kicked out of the church and so there's a sort of like the shield of protection which now they're all sort of denying and he's been kicked out of the church and people love a good sort of fall from grace story uh what did you guys think did you read the whole new york times piece and and what were your thoughts because we put it in the pod group and we all sort of you know had a little bit of a, a a chuckle reading this story yeah i i read it the first thing i thought was i wonder if his feelings were hurt when he thought he was a peer of Justin Bieber, and then Bieber's calling him like his dad. You're my second dad. Like, like imagine you were friends with somebody, and it's like, yeah, you know, me and Bieber are just on the same wavelengths. Like, you're like my dad. Because like, oh. okay. this guy also like dresses super youthful too. Like he's mm-hmm. in like the long low cut shirts and the ripped jeans. Like and he's even- he's ripped too. Like he's very yeah. physically fit, and he wears the hipster glasses. So. And he has like that fake tan look, whether his tan's real or not. It looks like a, he's, he was overly tanned back back in his heyday. And he just, you know, the article just says everything you'd think about what he was after looking at him for, for two minutes. So all these revelations didn't really seem like revelations. No, it almost seems like something that like when you see those, when you first read that story in like 2014 or whatever about this guy becoming, he became like a big TMZ star and all this shit. It's like, that would be the first thing you'd assume. It's like, oh, this guy's a grifter. Like he wants to be famous. Like, it's just like, it's so obvious on its face. And we'll get to sort of why we think maybe celebrities gravitate toward that. But Maxie, what'd you think when you read it? Uh, well, I remember vaguely, I vaguely remember him like showing up in Durant's posts and Bieber's posts and thinking like, oh, this guy kind of looks like a douchebag. But if he's a, if he's a religious man, he, he must be, sort of transcendent of all of that. He must be like that sort of supreme human who, you know, looks cool and works out all the time and like rich and famous people like him, but he's also a man of God and he lives by those rules. So I'm like, he Goodness just must, apart, like- He's pure. He, exactly. But, yeah. I, but and, then, and then realizing that he is a grifter, it just makes me think I would be susceptible to that kind of guy because I was <laughs> fooled. <laughs> I was fooled until I read that article that I was like, huh. He's not what he says he is, even though to everybody else who's a little bit more discerning. Um, see, because I think generally speaking around, um, this happens sometimes when I'm with Ash, like somebody will reach out to the band and I'll be like, they seem kind of nice. And Ash will be like, I have hives right now listening to this person pitch us right now. <laughs> like there's absolutely no way we're doing anything with this person. And then I go, huh? Okay, and then I think about it for a few minutes, or then I'll maybe I'll ask a mutual friend, "Hey, what do you make of this person?" And they'll be like, "That person's insane, Max. Don't go anywhere near that person." <laughs> and then Ash's hives were obviously correct. So basically, I, I put myself when I read the article, I put myself in the shoes of of a Bieber or Durant, and I'm like, and I said, I get it because I I'm not that discerning. Whereas I think you guys are much better at smelling the bullshit. And that's why you know I got to keep you guys around. <laughs> <laughs> Not just the friendship or the good hangs. Uh, <laughs> no, I need to be protected. Um, but what about you, Mike? Um, like, like I feel like you're a very sort of like you read the room as well as anybody. And um, yeah, like what were uh, yeah what were your thoughts on the article? What sticks out? Well, one of the things that that stuck out, and I this is no surprise to me because like I've had thoughts. I've been reading about this for a long time. But like even in this article, just how naked uh, um, of a business 
religion is like when they go into the infrastructure like basically it's like it's it's like you're reading about a franchise like a restaurant that started in australia is this small thing that this guy sort of inherited from his dad and then he kind of tried to branch out and then he grew it and then it gets to new york and then this sort of transcendent you know pastor uh in in carl lentz comes along and he sort of explodes and you're reading almost like the rise and fall of a business in some ways but i'm just like it's like, but we're still talking about religion, like the sort of the, 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 the sort of like finding something in yourself, like the humbling yourself in front of God, like sort of the purity of religion, the idea of like, you don't need the material things um, that Carl Lentz seems to value or that like at the end of the day, like this church had VIP seating for like celebs in New York to come by. So it's like, oh, well, if Haley Baldwin's here, like she's, she's up front. And then it's like the people that are like, you know, really following that church get booted to the back. And it's like, there's a hierarchy and there's like VIP sections. And it's like, this is no different than a club or anything but it's sort of mirrored or, or it's disguised under the sort of like you know the tent of religion which also means that these people don't have to pay taxes which is like this whole other issue and scam uh but it's just like so interesting to read it that sort of like blatantly well i feel like you see this a lot in uh all in the culture especially with the instagramification of the world that we live in which is like there's all these pursuits that in the past were known as sort of noble or virtuous. Like you, you see a lot of these are sort of health and like wellness people that are basically just like hot people that want to show off their bodies. But it's like, it's all under the guise of nutrition and meditation and mindfulness and, and health and spirit. But it's just like more of just a, a, an opportunity to get as famous and as rich as possible. It's just like another avenue where in the past, there's like, you can either be an actor or a celebrity, but now there's religion you can put on Instagram. There is health and wellness. There's, there's a lot of different routes to go by. Yeah. And it's like not a revolutionary statement to say like that they're just selling you religion. They're selling you peace of mind. And if you get something out of it, then I'm happy for you and you, you, you get it. But it's just like when you, you look at this, it just feels so like, um, blatant in a way that like maybe people don't care i don't know you know what i mean at the end of the day like i said if you get something from it, you get something from it. so that stood out to me shane i think you could be a good celebrity pastor i think people like are attracted to you in an unusual way and you are you, you people like want your attention and affection i feel like um because you're a little mysterious but you're funny and you have you can have a good mix of building people up but also really cutting them down which makes people (laughs) want your attention even more um do you think i think you'd be do you think you could be an effective celebrity pastor see it it would just be too much pressure for me every week i I would put too much (laughs) into it and like i can perform but I, I like to do the same thing every week. Like when I used to do these big speeches at the movie theater, it was more or less the same rehearsed speech every week that I could give a lot of com- fake confidence into. But I, I, I think I'm, I'd be a good guy behind the pastor. Like a lot, what I find is a lot of very charismatic people are drawn to me, but I'm not the charismatic person. So I'd be a good like right hand man to the charismatic person. You know what I mean? Because I'm not easy to win over and charismatic people like winning over somebody. And so they're drawn to me to unlock that challenge. And then I can direct them to be the better pastor. Hey, um, kind of related. I also sent this article in the, in the pod group. Did you read the the lawsuit from Chance the Rapper's former manager? Did you guys take a peek at that? I haven't read that oh, yet, actually. Fuck. Sorry, no, there was a lot idiot. of text I, I read the through. Kevin Garnett one and I, I, I always <laughs> read the most recent ones. I read the shit I wasn't supposed to read. That's okay. Well, interesting ba- stuff. So, so basically, and this is uh, pertains to my interest because obviously I'm a Chance the Rapper fan, and I always heard about this manager, Pat the Manager. He went by Pat the Manager, and he manages 
Chance the Rapper. And he's sort of like this chubby white dude uh, from Chicago. And they seem to have this like real partnership. And they and he oversaw like the, the first three mixtapes, which were underground. They were for sale. They weren't on any, they weren't for sale. They weren't on any streaming websites. And that sort of solidified Chance as sort of a man of the people. Um, and then this lawsuit basically claims that Chance fired him around the time that his last record came out. And the last record famously is kind of a flop. And I was really disappointed in it uh, because I thought uh, it just, you know, the expectations were really high on uh, going into this record and it just did not deliver. And Pat, the manager, basically claims that Chance owes him a bunch of money and commissions, which is like pretty standard when a manager gets fired, you sort of uh, say okay you you owe me some money but what he does in the lawsuit is that he outlines basically how flawed Chance's approach to making the latest record was so he's like so basically Chance told me that he announced his new album before it was even made it was incredibly rushed it, he did not put the time and effort into making the album uh, all the reviews said that it was a terrible record. I, I advised him not to do this and do that and do this and do that. And he he went against my suggestions anyway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just reading the thing. I'm just like, this has nothing to do with your commissions that are owed. You're just using <laughs> <laughs> this as an opportunity to, to kind of absolve yourself from that shitty record and and just kind of call out chance for sort of his like reckless artistic behavior he's kind of saying if he stayed with me he would have made a lot of money i'm the secret ingredient to chance the rapper's success he is saying that he he totally is saying that there was a point to what he was saying he's like hey here's what he does without me here's what he does with me how much money do you think he owes me right that that's the but but i think the 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 nuts and bolts of the lawsuit though are basically saying like oh he didn't pay me royalties on certain things so it has nothing to do with like whether the record was a flop or not. It's just like, oh, he just hasn't paid me my commissions yet, which kind of has nothing to do with the sort of the the uh, career game planning that he's also talking about. It was just like a funny opportunity to like make a press release just to shit on somebody like through the lens of a lawsuit. Well, it shows you of the Midas touch. It shows your value. Mm-hmm. I, I see what you're saying, Max, but there is a point to it. Yeah, no, no, I get, the, I totally get the point. On a PR level, it totally makes sense. I just thought it was funny that it was th- through the lens of a lawsuit because he could have just tweeted those things too he could have been like not working with chance anymore but here's yeah. here's what happened on the last record but instead he like put it through a legal framework it was like there's no reason to include like he was just being sort of like he was he was distracted in the studio he procrastinated he had a bunch of hanger-ons that weren't helpful this 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 it's like that's kind of beside the point at this point it just, um, it'd be funny if it just kept going to super relevant stuff. Like, I think he eats too many gummy bears. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the direction it was going, though. He, like, showers <laughs> twice like, a week. You know, it's like stuff that has nothing to do with his career. Yeah. Um, but I wonder what Chance thought. Because basically, the manager confirmed everything that a Chance the Rapper fan was worried about when they heard the album. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that that's why it's extra juicy to me. Because I'm just I'm listening to the record. I'm like, these are all kind of... B-rate versions of the last album, and it just seems like nobody was doing quality control. And to hear kind of straight straight from the horse's mouth uh, to be true, I thought was interesting. All right, well, guys, we got a few minutes left. Let's uh, let's do the Shane surprise. Mm-hmm. Shaney, what do you got for us? Yeah, I don't know if this is much of a surprise, but uh, have you heard of Jeremy Renner's app? <laughs> <laughs> she sure has have. a fan app. Max, have you heard of this? Uh, yeah, I did. I heard about it last week, actually, on the pod. So Jeremy Renner is an Oscar 
Uh, I think he won an Oscar. <laughs> Hurt Locker <laughs> nominated for sure. I don't know if he won for yeah. Hurt Locker. But. What was the Hurt Locker? Yeah, I yeah. think he is just nominated. But somehow, inexplicably, he decided to make a fan app that might be, you might imagine like maybe someone like Justin Bieber would have one or, or Shawn Mendes. But it's he recreated Instagram, but made it where it's only pictures of himself. And instead of likes, they're stars. So you, but you have to purchase the stars. So like a hundred stars costs like 20 bucks. And the more stars you put on a photo, the higher the likelihood is that Jeremy Renner will send you a personalized message. But all the personalized matches messages were just like, Hey, hope you're having a great weekend. And, <laughs> and it was so ridiculous and it just got overtaken by trolls. So people started subscribing to it that weren't even Jeremy Renner fans. They just wanted to fuck with him. A bunch of YouTube videos ended up being made where they just make fun of Jeremy Renner. And these videos accumulated millions and millions of views. There's a popular podcast called The Renner Files, which the whole goal is just to make fun of uh, this app. And it's really well done. It's by Carolyn Goldfarb and Sarah Romos. And they're kind of like Nathan Fielder-esque people and they really deep dive in this hilarious investigative report of style uh reporter style and i was just thinking is there anything you've done that you thought was going to be a really well-received project and it just blew up in your face or didn't achieve what you thought it would mm. oh there is uh... It's a good question because I have lots of ideas, and normally before they get out the out the door, Ash uh, will will vet it. So if she wasn't around, there I'd probably have a lot of examples. But also, I find that the internet um, is un- can be kind of unpredictable. You know what I mean? Like where there's some things that really take off that you didn't expect, and there's other things you're like, oh, this is gonna be a home run, and no one gives a shit about. Um, Ash, can you think of any Ashes right here? Are there? Oh, yeah, or yeah, that that didn't turn out. Uh, Mike, do you got anything? I I would say like in general, whether it was like when I was at the band and doing music videos, uh, or like with, with whether it's like the Crave Show or anything, I'm like I'm almost too cautious. Where like I won't take enough chances. Where my whole sort of like uh, edict is like. Um, in 10 years when I look back on this, I don't want to be embarrassed of it. So then I tend to like get a little bit too boxed in on um, like quality control where I think that that leaves me, I leave stuff on the table, but I'm not not taking some more chances. But as a function of that, there's, I can't think of too many things I do that I'm like, shit, that was embarrassing. Like even if it wasn't popular, successful, I look back and I'm like proud of it. That being said, However, there was one thing that Shane and I did, and I, it's funny, it's always something Shane and I did, uh, but because we've talked, we've talked about <laughs> I doing, know, the, I was thinking of something you and I did too. We were talking, we talked, we've talked in the past about getting up after the MMVAs and like emceeing the thing in the suits and all that, that that was a, that was a disaster that we thought was going to be great. Um, but there was another thing that we did where much was putting together a new show called uh, like much buzz or something. I don't know, oh, but I they had a bunch about that. <laughs> they had a bunch of people audition for it and they were like. Oh, Mike and Shane, you guys in the building, you know, la la, we think you guys would be great, all this time. Come in like audition. It was kind of like a panel show where you made fun of like stuff on the screen and it's like, okay, we can like improvise and make some shit up. So we get in on this stage and we're kind of auditioning. They brought different people in and it's like, it's going fine. We're having like a laugh. And then they ask us to improvise like a song on the spot. So you have to like stand up in front of a microphone and you have to basically just sing about something wacky for like 30 or 40 seconds. And so like I get up 
and I'm like, hey, I'm here, whatever, whatever the song is. All I remember is like that 40 seconds was the worst like thing I've ever done in my life. And it probably exists on a tape somewhere in the basement of like much music, 29 Queen. And I would hope that that never sees the light of day because after that, like Shane and I went to the fryer across the street for a beer and we were like, why the fuck did we do that? That I feel terrible. I I <laughs> thought I was a cool, creative person before I did that, and that was a disaster. Uh, I hope that I oh never. And it, you know, it puts you off doing that kind of stuff. But Shaney, you remember that? Yeah, uh, like that was one of the most humiliating moments. Yeah, that. <laughs> okay, okay. Top top three humiliating moments is is that because I totally froze there. Like I couldn't think of any improv. Uh, song to make up so i really froze then when we hosted the mmva after showing our tuxes and my mic was having all the feedback and uh, the guy had to talk to me over the mic <laughs> uh, the sound guy you're holding yeah. the mic wrong yeah <laughs> yeah and i just ran off stage and hid in the bathroom for four hours and then related to that uh, that time we had to do that impromptu song a few weeks later they they called me back for something else which was a comedy show they were looking for hosts and it was kind of like, I guess, a snarky comedy show. <laughs> so they ha- they have all these photos and they go, okay, we want you to just um, make fun of these people on the spot. And th- there was no rehearsal. It was totally improv. And they pulled out a picture of Doug Ford and they just wanted me to <laughs> make fun of him. And I'm like, oh, this was a few years ago, by the way, when you could make some uh, fun of someone's physical appearance and it would be like acceptable comedy. And the person asking me to do this kind of resembled Doug Ford in a way. So I'm, I'm looking at this clip or this photo and I'm like, I'm not going to comment on Doug Ford's weight. I'm not going to comment on his appearance. I'm going to feel terribly awkward. So I just sit there for a minute staring at the photo. And I go, can you give me another minute? It's just sit there in complete awkwardness with all these people staring at me. <laughs> oh, no. And I just go, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And I just put down the papers and walked out. And that was it. <laughs> and then I noticed we we have a system at our work called Interplay where they keep all the footage. And I just searched it out to see, like, I hope it's not in there. And it was in there. So oh. anyone in our workplace could find this photo that. of me tanking. Yeah. That wasn't a tank. That, that's just weird. I, I, we need to post yeah. that. Can you find it and we can post it? Uh, I, I, no, it would, be, it would be terrible. But a Stockman, I remember Stockman, Justin Stockman saw it. And he, he talked to you, Mike, and he goes, yeah, Shane totally bombed his audition. <laughs> and it just confirmed everything I thought. Like, it wasn't a cool move. Like, I thought it might be to just, like, not make fun of somebody who's overweight. But anyway. Uh, okay, I, th- yeah. I, th- I thought of two, actually. Um, the first is, oh, so, Mike, you talk about how you don't want to be able to, like, look back in 10 years and, and on something you're not proud of. And that's what keeps you from doing things. Yeah. I just refuse to look back on anything. So that's actually <laughs> a superpower of mine. So I, because I usually just kind of keep it moving. And I have a, actually kind of a terrible memory. So I've probably done countless things that I would shudder if I were to actually think about them. But I just don't. And I just kind of keep a smile on my face, keep looking forward. But um I got sent a photo of me from a high school prom and I was wearing this ridiculous like pink or like bright red shirt with flowers on the top, which is something kind of similar that I'd wear now, to be honest. But I'm also wearing bowling shoes for some reason. Like I thought I'm wearing khakis with bowling shoes. And uh, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? Like there was not any point in the culture that bowling shoes were cool, but I thought I was onto something. So there's probably been a lot of like fashion miscues over the year, the years that I'd be very embarrassed about. But actually, um, 
in terms of like what's like the worst gig ever uh, that something I thought was going to be fucking excellent and ended up being a utter disaster and I might have mentioned this around the pod or I might have told you guys before but basically we were asked to uh, play this journalism awards event uh, in downtown Toronto a few years ago and it was going to be like a ballroom full of the most serious journalists in the country like from the Globe and Mail Toronto Star everybody and it was an awards for them and they wanted us to kick off the night and they want us to play Whistleblower, which is our song about a journalist breaking a story. So we're like, this is going to be awesome. And in my mind, I often play out what a show or performance will look like in my mind and how I'll feel and what the audience will be doing. And it's a, it's a great way to sort of like per- mentally prepare for what you're going to do. So in my mind, the lights are lights are off uh, at the spotlight on the stage. There's no one saying a fucking word. Everyone's listening to every word of this powerful song. It's going to be awesome. But uh, so we get there. I'm all like pumped up and ready to go. They wanted to do like a cold open. So basically nobody was telling uh, them to shut the fuck up and sit down and stop talking to each other. So basically all the lights are kind of on. Everybody's sort of milling about at their tables. The person, the, the, the backstage who's like kind of running the show is like, go, 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 go. And they're kind of shooing us on stage. So we're like, okay. And we're, and we're, I'm kind of praying at this point that everybody will sort of see me on stage and go, there's a guy from the Arkells. Uh, we, bet, we better shut up. No one did that. Everybody just carried on the conversation. The lights didn't really go down. And we're playing this song and like there's I'm not kidding in the room is probably 300 people nobody was paying attention <laughs> and then and the people on the side stage are watching this happening and they're, they're like holy fuck this is a disaster they were feeling so bad for us and I and my, it was just Mike and I doing it and I, we got off stage I was like I gotta get the fuck out of here and I just remember the feeling of walking through it was at the Royal York in Toronto in downtown Toronto just walking through like the back stairwell where like the, like the servers would be kind of taking the food I'm just like that was it just you just that feeling yeah. that you when you like leave the thing you're like I need to do what seven shots right now because yeah. it's just so fucking terrible but yeah so that that's an example of something I thought was going to be this like really important moment in my career and that it was all acoustic, these journalists right? it was all like it was going to be acoustic guitar it yeah it was going to be acoustic guitar yeah. with just like the vocal and two acoustic guitars and of course it like it was the complete opposite <laughs> there's my Jeremy Renner <laughs> <laughs> 